Welcome to Only Trying to Help, the podcast where we try to help you be helpful to other people. My name is Kate Watson, and we're here with another favorite guest, Elizabeth. How are you, my friend? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming back on the show. I guess I didn't scare you off. No, <laughs> no, it's my pleasure. <laughs> um, so I want to give both you and the listening audience a little context here. Um So on the show this season, we've been talking a lot about anxiety and mostly like heavy duty clinical anxiety. And we've been talking about building our sensitivity toward people who have anxiety and not just telling them shit like, oh, relax, calm down, get over it because, Mm -hmm. because they can't, (laughs) um, it is, it is not helpful. It is well-meaning like a lot of things we talk about, but it is not helpful So I was also thinking we ought to talk about just feeling anxious, which is different, right? Um, A person can feel anxious about a particular thing without having a diagnosis of anxiety, just like a person can feel depressed without having a diagnosis of depression. So thinking about those times when we might just feel anxious for one reason or another, I remembered you, you had a blog you had written called there are no emergencies. And I thought maybe you could help us with this conversation. Um, So for the listeners, could you just tell us like, what was that blog about? Yeah, so one of my jobs um, is counseling other social workers, um, typically to help them towards the next level of their licensure, but also just sometimes in a consulting capacity. Uh, And I noticed a theme with those other social workers and with my own professional life is that there is this drive that everything is urgent. Everything has to be done right this minute. This is uh, an absolute necessity. And the thing about social work, the reason I am a social worker is because that's not the case. (laughs) There are a lot of major systemic issues Um, that social workers attempt to address. But unless you are working in an emergency room or for a mobile crisis, there are no emergencies. And if you work in those places, you clock out. You are not always there, right? So maybe there is an emergency on your shift, but when you're not at work, you're not at work. So that blog post really came out of hearing over and over again from these other social workers the other people on my team, often a multidisciplinary team, right, of people who do sort of function at an emergency level, (laughs) this has to be done immediately. This is an emergency, but it was things like this person doesn't have a home. Yeah, homelessness is a major issue. It's, and it is urgent, I think, but it's not an emergency the way that like someone breaking a leg is an emergency. You know what I mean? So that's where it sort of came from. Yeah, I do. It's, it's, um, <laughs> I remember being uh, an undergraduate psych major. Oh my God, I'm going to sound like such a nerd and I might have to edit this out so the world doesn't know how nerdy I am. But of course I, <laughs> what did you say? Keep it in. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, 
as a 18, 19 year old psychology major, I was in the psychology club. <laughs> I mean, other people joined fraternities and sororities and like drank all weekend. I joined the psychology club and we had t-shirts that said, it's all about perspective. And um, gosh, I wonder if I have that shirt somewhere. I love it. But anyway, I'm bringing it up because I think, I think a lot of this is all about perspective. I'll bet there are a lot of people listening right now who raised an eyebrow when you said a person doesn't have a home and that's not an emergency. I'll bet there are people who are like, yes, it is. Let's just clarify. The person who doesn't have a home, especially in the field of the social work, this is often a client who has already been living without a home for some time. Right. And they have, they have survived to this point. They have maybe been living on the street or living uh, you know, in, in a car or uh, on friends' couches for quite some time. And a social worker is maybe finding out about it today, but that mm -hmm. doesn't make it an emergency today. This is right. something that is maybe chronic in the person's life. It is concerning. And so, of course, we do want to be helpful. And of course, we do care. But it may not be the life or death situation that some listeners might think that it is. And this is where I'm saying it's all about perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I use that example because it does on its face seem like this is urgent. This person needs to be housed, which, yeah, I fully agree. But let's look at the reality, right? A city like Philadelphia, uh, there is a ton of, there are a ton of abandoned houses, right? There is a huge uh, unhoused population. What are we doing for those people, right? There are shelters during the winter. Uh, the Section 8 housing list is closed currently, I believe. It's been closed the majority of my professional career. Uh, it opens for like one day a year. Uh, the waiting list is literally years long. So yes, it's urgent that this person doesn't have a home, but the issues that led to it are so systemic and so varied that the solution is not, uh, there's, no, there's no fire extinguisher for that. And I think we can use this example that can be extrapolated into so many different scenarios, right? That on its face seems like something has to be done immediately. But when you start picking through what the problem is, there are no immediate solutions. So you should and can take the time to think about things with more nuance, with more perspective um, and not knee jerk react. Easy for yeah. me to say, I knee jerk react all the time. <laughs> Listen, the, I, th I, I really believe that people would rather hear from folks who struggle with these things <laughs> than folks who pretend to be the experts on these things. So of course, of course, you and I would both be guilty of this quite frequently. <laughs> um, I, it's what makes us lovable. So that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But um, I'm 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 loving how you you said there's no fire extinguisher for that. And here's the thing: I think I think we go looking for a fire extinguisher when we perceive something as a big problem. Mm -hmm. And when we don't find the fire extinguisher, somehow our convoluted brains decide, well, the only thing to do now is to like break my own back over this. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't solve the problem either. Now you just have a broken back. Yes. 
Yes. And this leads to burnout, which I know we talk about burnout in particular professions, obviously in, in our profession as helping professionals, but I think burnout extends into every facet of our lives, right? My kids have just gone back to school and everything feels very intense, right? They're, the routine is changing. We have to be somewhere at a certain time. Uh, my daughter forgot her water bottle the first day. That was a tragedy. It just, you know, all of this stuff feels so, and there's emails from the teacher about like this day off and this early dismissal. And it, it would be very easy to whip myself up into a frenzy of like, I've got to do whatever list. And I'm sure other parents are feeling the crunch right now as well. And I'm not saying that I have decided to be Zen master biz about it, but <laughs> it is helpful to remember that this is not an emergency, right? This feels urgent, things feel pressing, but like if she forgets her water bottle, she will live to see another day. <laughs> Child protective services will not come to my home. <laughs> like things are just not that. I think once you can get over the emotional um, sort of knee jerk, as I said, of being like, I feel stressed out. So let, cortisol is flooded my body and I now have to have like an out of proportion response. Once you can get past that and back into your rational brain, it's a little easier to be like, ah, this is actually not that bad. I, I love it. And, and given that this podcast is about helping other people. I think your ability to stay self-regulated emotionally and relax your initial knee-jerk response is helpful to others. Um, I can't speak for your children, but I'll <laughs> bet in some way, even if they don't realize it now, in some way it's helpful that mom stays calm when I forget my water bottle. Because if mom melts down and I'm melting down, well, now we're all just melting down. Right. And that does feel like an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty soon it starts to feel like, oh, now we're actually in an emergency. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of things we've talked about in past seasons. Like, um, like last season, we did a whole series uh, around parenting. And of course I brought in experts because I don't have kids. So what the hell do I know? But, um, and by experts, I mean, parents, <laughs> like just, just people who have kids to me, they're experts. And, um, I'm thinking about the examples they gave, like, you know, well, my, my 14 year old son is getting a D in math. Well, that could feel like an emergency. Oh no, my, my child, my shining star who I was so sure was going to go to Harvard. <laughs> he's, he's uh-oh, he's getting a D in math. Well, we've all got to cancel the family vacation, stay in this weekend, practice math. Everything's on pause. This is a total emergency. We've got to rally together. Everybody's going to do math together. Like, you know, is it, is it, is it an emergency? Right. Right. And we do have a tendency to catastrophize when we're stressed out. Um, even if you don't have a clinical diagnosis of anxiety, as you guys have been talking about, it is very normal for something bad to happen 
and somebody to go all the way down the road to, and then I die in a fire, (laughs) you know, to go from like, I got rear-ended on my way to work to I'm going to get fired from my job, which is like extremely unlikely, but it's pretty normal to walk down that road of like, now everything bad is going to happen. Doom and gloom. Um, And Mm -hmm. my prediction is that this will be the, the, conversation that is maybe most relatable to people because my experience is that I go about this world meet people talk to people and sometimes get a sense like "Ooh, this person I'm talking to right now is anxious right and and I have no idea if this person has a diagnosis of anxiety or is just anxious today or anxious about this thing but like I, I, the listeners can't see, I'm using my hands, but I get like just a vibe, like a really activated, anxious vibe. And I can't know this, but my guess is that a lot of those people do not have a diagnosis of anxiety. And my other guess is that some of them probably should and never will because they'll, they'll never go find out that they have a diagnosis of anxiety. And so I'm just thinking there are a lot of people out there who may actually technically have clinical anxiety, but they're listening and they don't even know they have it because they'll never dare to go find out. And so this conversation might be the one they they enjoy the most because they might say, oh, that's me. I don't have a diagnosis, but yeah, I get worried sometimes. Um, and so I, I don't know what my point is, except that I, I think I think we might really be reaching some people here talking about those times where it just feels like a big deal and maybe it isn't. Yeah. And I think it's also important to point out that at this moment, you and I are not in a state of anxiety, right? We're your long-term friends who've known each other a long time. We're having a pretty easy conversation. I feel I'm off work today, so I feel extremely calm. <laughs> I'm, I'm currently in bed talking to you. <laughs> like pretty laid back at the moment so it's extremely easy for you and I to sit here and be like everything's actually fine you guys like try to relax what is challenging is when you have that stress reaction when the cortisol floods through being able to still hear your rational brain enough to not let that like derail your entire day yep Yeah, you're making me appreciate that we might be making this sound a little easier than it really is. So you're right. (laughs) And easy for two, like, you know, middle-class white women on a Friday morning when we have nothing else to do to sit around and talk about how life is grand. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so thank you for bringing me back to like, of course, it's easy for us to say this right now. Um, I don't have a child who's in the hospital hooked up to a machine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not I'm not terribly consumed with worry about my bills that I have to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. I'm, I'm not dreading a phone call that I'm anticipating getting later. Um, but I will say there's no other way I would want to record this podcast, right? Like, I'm not sure we could we could be in the right frame of mind to offer a perspective if you and I were currently so worried about a phone call that's coming later or worried about a loved one in the hospital. And so 
Uh, I, I do think it takes two people who are having a great day <laughs> to, to, to offer a little calm perspective to those who may not be in, in the same position. Yeah, for sure. And I, I pointed out to just to acknowledge that like it is easier said than done. And I even, again, as a therapist, as someone with a master's degree in social work, as someone who has been in therapy myself off and on for many years, I still have moments where I am like a fork falls on the floor in the kitchen and I'm like, everything is going to hell. <laughs> so I understand <laughs> that it is easy to think that you are in an emergency, that you are, your brain is in uh, flight or fight or flight, right? That like something, you've got to do something. And I just really want to encourage that like, if you can remember in those moments to literally stop and take a deep breath because breathing is how we remind our body that it's safe, right? And truly, unless you are in physical danger, you are probably safe in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, I um I talk about the deep breath in my in my workshops a lot, and I I always say like, listen to me, this is not hippie stuff, okay? <laughs> this is science. this is this is science. Like I I I suspect that a lot of people who come to my trainings, um, which is a very different audience than the podcast audience, but um, the people who come to my trainings have probably sat through a hundred different speakers talking about the importance of breath and breathing and pausing and mindfulness and all that crap. And I always say, listen, I know you've heard this and heard this and heard this. My concern is you've actually heard it so much that you're not listening to it anymore. It just sounds like blah, 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 blah. I said, so I'm begging you to just like tune in, even if you think, oh yeah, here comes the speech about taking a deep breath. And I always say, it's not hippie shit. This is not bubble baths and aromatherapy. This is not crystals. This is not essential oils. This is oxygen, which your body needs. And if your body and your, and in particular, your nervous system is in a survival response, one really good way to let your body know that it is actually thriving and, and it's, it's living and it's not in any, it's not under any kind of threat is to send it oxygen and, and that tells your body, oh, probably we're okay. <laughs> probably. Absolutely. Yeah. I think too, when you, um, when you're on the other side, when you are perfectly calm, but you're engaging with someone who is, thinks that they're in an emergency, especially when you are at work and one of your colleagues or your boss or whoever is like on the ceiling, I think it can be really helpful to model that calm, not in a paternalistic way, but just in like a, it, I, I truly believe that other people can feed off our energy, right? So if your boss is on the ceiling and you join her there, that's no good, right? If your boss is on the ceiling and you are calm and breathing deeply and speaking in a nice neutral, quiet tone, that will de-escalate the situation. And that's true, even not at work, right? But I use that example because I think often when we're at work, other people are like, their hair is on fire. And it's like, you guys, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally nothing is on fire. So why are we all running around like lunatics? What's happening? Right. So a couple things. Um, 
you know, we talk about co-regulating, right? Like, so there's, there's trying to regulate yourself and your own emotions and kind of keep yourself not so activated. But when you're around someone who is activated, it can become contagious. It's easy to catch all of their anxious energy, really easy to catch it. Um, I find that's true when I spend time with my family. Like it's really easy, <laughs> it's really easy to catch their anxious energy. And then I, I often leave so exhausted and I think, why am I so tired? And I realize, oh, I caught it. I caught their anxious energy. Um, and so the idea of if, if I can stay in control of myself, and keep myself calm, maybe they'll catch my calm energy. It can be contagious the other way. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of the idea of not just self-regulating, but co-regulating. The two people can help regulate each other um, by, by, as you're saying, kind of sharing those energies back and forth. And again, by energies, we don't mean hippie shit. It's not like cosmic <laughs> stuff. It's just like putting, putting a feeling in the room and, and other people picking up on that feeling. Um, sometimes it's really easy episode to episode to accidentally contradict myself from the previous one. <laughs> so, so I want to be really clear, you know, previously we were talking about clinical anxiety and how it's not helpful to just tell people, Hey, relax, calm down, take it easy. And I, I feel like we're, we're, we might accidentally confuse people right now because we're talking about, oh, your boss's hair is on fire and she's on the roof and she's freaking out. And you can be the calm one saying everything's fine. Let's just be clear. It's not that we're saying you can talk people out of their anxiety. That's not what we're saying. We're saying just stay in control of yourself. And if you're putting that calm energy in the room, you might send the message that everything's fine without having to say, Hey, everything's fine. Chill out. What's your problem? Saying things like that is likely going to make things worse. But if you can just kind of set the tone of things are in control, I'm not going to freak out. People might catch it in a way that it's like a good contagion, right? They might pick up on that. And then we can sort of send the message that everything's fine without having to use the words, everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it can be helpful to even to just point out what you're seeing, right? Like, I know this project has been really stressful and just let that, that way you are, you are addressing what is happening, but without judgment, right? Like I see you, I see that you are stressed out. I see that you feel anxious. Now let me tell you about what is actually happening, right? Like I hear, I, I see that this is really stressful for you. You know, here's where we are, whatever. You, you people know your jobs, <laughs> <laughs> you know, your relationships. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, gosh, it's bringing me back to like an old, uh, tried and tested thing of um, replacing but with and, right? Like we, we talk about that a lot. So rather than saying, you know, I know you're anxious, but really everything's fine. No, no. A better approach is I see that you're anxious. Yeah. And I really think this will work out. Yeah. So rather than but, which is like um, confrontational, we say and, like two things can be true at the same time. It can be true that you're stressed out and it can also be true 
that there might not be anything to stress about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of those things can be true at the same time. And I'm not judging you or trying to fix you. I'm just kind of putting that out there. But when we, I just said, but, and when we say, but, <laughs> but when we say, but, um, when we say, but people hear it as I'm arguing with you. Right. Right. Okay. Let's flip this around a little bit. So we've been talking about helping a person who might think there's an emergency that there really isn't, right? Mm -hmm. I want to turn the tables a little bit. Sometimes we want to help a person and it feels to us like helping them is the emergency. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think sometimes the helpers who are listening, the, you know, the millions of helpers who tune in to this podcast, (laughs) the millions of helpers who listen to this to think about how to be a better helper probably know the feeling of their hearts pounding when they realize their friend has a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, my friend had a bad day at work. What do I do? What do I say? How do I make it better? Oh, my child got picked on at school today. What do I say? What do I do? How do I make it better? Um, My partner is unhappy in, uh, you know, in their job. Uh, what, what do I say? What do I do? How do I make it better? Um, whatever the case may be. I think sometimes we enter into this activated state where we think there's an emergency to solve a problem for someone. Um, and I think that it's important for us to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. One of my clients very wisely said to me a couple months ago, talking about himself, advice is only good for the person who's giving it. And I think about that all the time. Yeah, he's he's awesome. I think about that all the time. And I try to remind myself of that, that sometimes, in fact, I would argue almost all the time when someone is bringing a problem to us, they are not looking for a solution. They're looking for someone to sit with them and say, yeah, that sucks. I'm sorry that's happening. Or like, yeah, that would stress me out too. You know, just people want to be validated. And I try really hard not to give advice unless I am directly asked for it. Now, when I say I try hard to do that, sometimes I slip up (laughs) because sometimes, you know, you really are thinking to yourself like, no, I see the solution. Let me just give it to you. (laughs) So obvious to me. Right. Yeah. I, I heard someone say, and I don't, I wish I knew who to give credit to because I've, I've actually seen it quoted many times, but, um, Advice is the junk mail of life. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) It's just like the shit that shows up that you didn't request. Right. I didn't ask for this. How did I get on this list? Yeah. Yeah. How did I get on this list? Um, Yeah. The junk mail of life. I think that is so true. Um, Yeah. And I think that a, a lot of people will listen to this and say, oh, of course, right. I don't, I don't give advice, but I gotta say those moments when we slip up that you're talking about, mm-hmm. I really believe those slip ups happen when we are most anxious. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is so difficult to sit with someone who is anxious, stressed out, telling you that they're having an emergency and not react, especially if it's someone you love. So when my second grader gets in the car at the end of the day and I ask how her day was and she bursts into tears, I immediately want to be like, everything is fine. You're fine. You have a great life. (laughs) Who hurt 
you. I will go talk to them. Really, I will I'll burn something down. Uh, and so it takes a lot of willpower instead to take a breath, to encourage her to take a breath and just say, what happened? And I'm sorry that happened. That, that sounds really hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's seven. So sometimes she does need my advice, but <laughs> I try to get her to, you know, tell me what she thinks she should do first. And I think we should be doing that with each other as much as we can, right? Tell me how I can help you. Tell me what you need from me. And sometimes it's, I just need you to tell me that I'm not crazy and this sucks. Yeah. I am. Um, I know someone who has a seven-year-old and um, he was telling me that um, sometimes his son doesn't sleep at night. He's just like up all night, upset about things. And, um, and I said, what's he upset about? And he said, well, he thinks the kids at school don't like him. He thinks he doesn't have friends and he's up all night upset about these things. And, um, and I said, and what do you do when, when he's up at night upset about about these things? And he was like, I'm sure I'm making it worse. (laughs) I said, I, I, I'm not, it was not going there except I, probably was I probably was going there um but I guess I got a little defensive I was like I'm not saying that I probably was kind of saying that but um he goes I know I probably make it worse I said I'm not there when this happens but I bet you argue with him I Mm -hmm. bet you tell him but you're a great kid and everyone likes you but that's not true you have friends but this but that but no but you've got to see it this way. But no, you have to see it this way. And I said, your seven-year-old just hears daddy yelling, but, 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 and it feels like an argument. So your seven-year-old argues back. Yeah. And, and the parent here said to me, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. And I said, you don't have to tell him he's wrong. You don't have to tell him he's right. Like, I'm not suggesting the other option is like, yeah, you're, you're an asshole and everyone hates you. (laughs) Yeah. You're no, no one wants to be your friend. That's true. No, but folks, here's what I want to say. And I think, I think this will land for people. Consider that there are more options than just agreeing or disagreeing with people. There's like a whole world of communication out there that has nothing to do with agreeing or disagreeing. I get it that you don't want to agree with the seven-year-old because that's mean, right? I get that. (laughs) But disagreeing with him at 10 o'clock at night when he's in tears and he's anxious and won't go to sleep is just amping everything up more. So no agreements and no disagreements. Why not just say something like, I'm so happy that you told me. Thank you. Thank you for telling me makes me feel really good when you can tell me how you feel you did a good thing and you're praising the child who may then go right and i'm not saying they go to sleep immediately i'm just saying we've increased our chances maybe yes that sleep that sleep could be in the near future if we've got some cleansing breaths happening i think that's a great example too kate because i often a lot of my clients suffer with this sort of anxiety insomnia, right? Where, you know, you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do about X, whatever it is? 
I can assure you that really is not an emergency because it's the middle of the night and you're not going to solve whatever the problem is in the middle of the night, unless again, there's like a fire. <laughs> so while I'm not saying that whatever your problem is, is nothing, I'm sure your problem is very valid and, and important and incredibly stressful. It does not require your attention in the dead of night when your body needs to be sleeping. And so I often tell my clients when they talk about that, about that 3 a.m. wake up and like the anxiety spiral that begins, you need to practice, practice telling your brain, I can't do anything about this right now, so I'm not going to. And I say practice because it's not like an immediate solution. It's not a light switch. But the more you do it, the more you will be able to, again, convince your rational brain like, yeah, why are we awake right now? This is not helpful. Yeah, I, I think practice is such a key word. The first time you try that, it won't work, right? Mm-hmm. It just won't because you're new at it. So mm-hmm. no need to be like, well, that didn't work. What a failure. No, it, it, it won't. It probably won't work the first time or the second time or the third time. It's something that you practice and you train your brain over time to accept. Um, and so I want everyone to hear that. Like, you know, if you're if you're trying a new coping skill or you're trying a new way of thinking or you're trying some new thing and it doesn't work the first few times, please keep at it because it's not really supposed to work the first few times. Yeah. It's not It's not magic. It's not right. magic. It is like showing up at the gym for the first time ever and thinking you're going to pick up a hundred pounds. No, you're going to pick up five pounds right. and practice with that. And then your muscles get stronger and you can try 10. And then you can try 15 and then you can try 20 and you gradually get to the point where you're like, well, listen, I can do hundred pounds now. Um, but it's, it's practice and it's strengthening a muscle. And I think what you're saying really honors what the others have said about clinical anxiety, which mm-hmm. is you don't just fix it overnight. You don't just snap out of it. There's, there's no magical cure. That's just going to make you say, you know what? I'm over it. I'm not going to be anxious anymore. These are things that we practice, 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 but there is hope. There's hope with practice that things can change. You're not stuck with this misery and suffering forever (laughs) that you can practice and these things get better, but it will take time and it will mean a few times it won't work so well for you. And that that's just going to have to be okay that you say, well, I tried that thing you told me, social worker, and that thing you told me to do didn't work. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to take some time. Mm -hmm. And that, that I think, too, is another major point about uh, what is an emergency and what is not. Almost always, there is time to think about what you want to do. In a a true emergency, again, is like something where you are physically unsafe. And you might not have, you only have whatever reaction time your brain is capable of, right? But almost everything else, you have time to make a decision. You don't have to make a decision immediately. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, father-in-law used to tell my husband when my husband was a teenager, whatever he, whatever my husband was yelling about, my father-in-law would say, in five years, you're not going to remember this. And my husband would become enraged because he was a teenager and that is a deeply annoying thing to hear. And he, he even told me sometimes he would like write something down so that he, he could like find it in five years and be like, look at this. Uh, but almost always that turned out to be true. My father-in-law is a brilliant man. 
I do not recommend saying that to people in the heat of the moment, but I do recommend saying it to yourself sometimes saying to yourself, is this going to bother me in a month or a year or five years? And if the answer is no, then like, what am I, why am I letting it bother me now? Yeah. I think, I think, um, well, perspective, right? Perspective is so key. I'm telling you, I, if I don't have that t-shirt anymore, I'm going to make a new one. It's all about perspective. Um, and it's going to say Towson University Psychology Club, even if I have to create a new t-shirt to say. Um, but yes, perspective is so important. And I also think you, you added another thing, which might be a nice point for us to end on. There's a difference between how we might help someone in the heat of the moment Mm -hmm. versus something that might be useful to say a little bit later. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I, I give that a lot of thought. Like sometimes I I have a friend or a family member who's struggling and it feels kind of like the heat of the moment. It feels intense. And oftentimes I have all sorts of things in my head that I'm thinking, well, these things might be helpful, but not this moment. Like maybe tonight when things calm down and we we put our feet up and we have a glass of wine, like that might be a good time to say, you know, earlier I was thinking this thing and I wonder if this is a good time to share it. But like the heat of the moment does not have to be the moment that you share everything you're thinking. And oftentimes I find, this is just me, but oftentimes I find the heat of the moment is the time to say very little or almost nothing at all. Yes. I, I get really quiet in the heat of the moment, but it's it's my attempt at establishing just that peace and calm. I often feel like the more I say, the more I might rile this person up more. And right. so I say very little. I let the person hear me take deep breaths, like cleansing breaths, like, and I usually limit my words to things like, mm-hmm, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Limit it to so little so that I'm not fueling the fire with a bunch of like, but what about this? And you got to think about it this way and you got to understand it this way. Like I leave all that for, you know what, when it's not the heat of the moment, I might be able to offer those perspectives, mm-hmm. but it's the heat of the moment now. So I'm going to mostly breathe and say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, give people the space to ventilate. And I, yeah, that can sometimes be hard to do. But if you meet anxiety with anxiety, then everyone's just, everyone's on the ceiling together. Yeah. And um, that point about there's the heat of the moment and then there's what we can talk about later is just another way of saying this is not an emergency. All of the things that I want to say do not need to be said right now. Right now is the time for breathing and for nodding and supporting. And later on, there will be plenty of time for me to share all of my wisdom and perspective and all the ways that I'd like to help this person. But it's not an emergency that I do it right now. What's more I'll use the word pressing, but I'm not going to say emergency, but what's maybe a little bit more pressing is just some peace, some Mm -hmm. peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think giving someone the space to be anxious is fine for a limited amount of time. 
And I want to encourage people that when you are with someone who is really stressed and really anxious, and if you start to feel like your presence is not necessary in that conversation, you should just bounce. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you this, this is a great point you're making because it's, it's come up quite a bit about when you think you're helping, but you're actually just starting to harm yourself. Like uh -huh. there's, there's a point at which you've got to say, okay, this isn't good for me anymore. Yeah. Um, and step aside, you know, and I was thinking about that yesterday, yesterday, when I texted you to say, Hey, are we still on for podcasting? I, I spent a few minutes just thinking about this topic in my head. And I was thinking about, um, people I know in my life who are, I shouldn't say are, they seem to be, because I don't know, I don't know what they are, but they seem to be in a constant state of emergency. <laughs> and, and I know a handful of people like this who seem to live day in and day out in a constant state of emergency. And I've learned in my adult life, something I wish I knew as a kid, but I, I've learned in my adult life that they're really bad for me. Like they're, it's, it's not good for me to be around that. I take it on and then I don't feel good. Um, and at the same time, because two things can be true at the same time, it's true maybe that that's bad for me. And it can also be true that these are people I love dearly. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I really want to keep them in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've noticed something that's kind of in our, our ethos these days and our, it seems prominent in our culture these days around just like cutting people out, right? Like uh -huh. that person's toxic out. I'll, I'll, they're done. I'm out of their life. They're out of my life. I'm not dealing with them. And um, I don't, I don't resonate with that so much. I, what resonates more with me is the predicament of I love this person tremendously mm -hmm. and I think their energy is not good for me. Mm -hmm. So what do I do with that? And um, I was thinking about it yesterday and I realized how I've started doing what I, I mean, in my field of domestic violence and sexual abuse, we often talk about safety planning. Mm -hmm. I've started to do what feels like safety planning. Like, okay, I'm going to that event today and Aunt Mary is going to be there. Aunt Mary is one of those people who is in a constant state of emergency. And so Aunt Mary's energy is really bad for me, but I love Aunt Mary and I, I'm still excited to see Aunt Mary. And I want to go to this event and throw my arms around her and say, what's new. And what I've got to do is some safety planning around like, how do I get ready for that wave of anxiety that she's going to throw my way? And how do I make sure that I am prepared to not take it on, to not make it contagious. Um, and so, you know, the plan changes. I don't always have the same plan, but I do go into some scenarios with a little bit of a plan. Like, okay, I'm about to go see a person who I know is just prone to doom and gloom and worst case scenarios and all that. How, how do I go in ready? Because I'm not an at all prepared to just cut this person out of my life. That's not happening. It's not even on the table for me. This yes. is someone I very much want in my life. I've just got to be prepared and protected from the parts of them that are not so good for me. Absolutely. And I think this goes back too, to similar to uh, everything not being an emergency because most things are very nuanced and complicated most almost everything has a lot of nuance right so just as you're saying like 
you, you can either have someone in your life or not. Well, no, you can have someone in your life and figure out a way to have them in your life in a way that is safe and healthy and uh, benefits you both without, you know, it doesn't, almost nothing is black and white like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's something I've noticed as a trend you know, I almost can't open any social media platform without seeing something pop up. That's like, if you're bad energy, I will cut you out of my life. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> I, I would have no one left in my life. <laughs> if, if I cut all the people out who like had a bad day, oh my goodness. And so, um, Sure. Listen, I also do a lot of work in very toxic relationships and violent relationships. And of course, of course, there are some scenarios where you, you're going to have to say goodbye to that person. Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm not saying that it's, it's never okay. I just worry that we jump to it a little too quickly in this world. Yeah, that is the thing. Like we live in this um, very intense, chaotic culture. I think, and it cut is cutthroat. Cut yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I know what you mean. Like when you open Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and it's just like memes of like, go live in the woods. And it's like, Everything is a nightmare. Get out of here. And it's like, okay, <laughs> this feels very, this feels like too much. Yeah. Yeah. There are nuances to these relationships. You don't have to be all in 100% with all people. There could be some people in your life that you say, you know, I'm kind of 80% in with that person, right? Like we, we, we are friends. I care about this person. I want them in my life. They want me in their life. So this is good, but like maybe at a slight distance, yeah. um, maybe with a little safety protection, a little bit of a boundary here, or maybe a lot of a boundary. Um, and anyway, I'm starting to think this is a whole new topic that we should do some other day. So I might cut us off here and be like, let's, let's pick that up some other time, because I think we could have a whole deep discussion about that. For now, I think we've, we've done a nice job talking about this idea of really, there are no emergencies. There may be a lot of people in your life who open up their eyes in the morning and see nothing but emergencies. They don't have to become your emergencies. Um, and, and if you would like to help that person who sees a world of emergencies, well, some things are not so helpful, like shouting at them, this is not an emergency. <laughs> okay. Not, not the best move in that situation. What might be more helpful is keeping yourself calm and not joining them in the emergency, letting them join you in the peace that you feel. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
that day I live in a dream.